Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Titus, chapter 1. We'll be reading verses 5 through 9. As you're turning there, I just want to say I'm just so glad that we got another one of these little army men. I remember that when we got the other one three years ago. And that, that little one that I have before, I got a beige one today. The first one I had was green. And he sits on my desk in my office right alongside my pens and pencils and pictures of family. And every time that, that I happen to focus, my eye falls on that, that little green man. I, I lift up and pray for our military, those that I know personally and, and others. And now I have one to uh, sit on my nightstand at home. And I can remember to do the same thing. The little guy that I got today happens to be not carrying a gun, but uh, he's holding a minesweeper. And I thought that was uh, rather appropriate today as we look at the heart of an elder, what God has, has called us to look for. All of us as believers, we aspire to be a Christian leader. That's what Paul says that, hey, you're no longer supposed to be drinking milk. You're supposed to be ready for the meat of the word. Uh, you're no longer supposed to be having to be coddled. By this time, you should be teaching others. It is a natural process in the Christian life that we grow in our faith and our maturity. And just as we've been taught, we then disciple and teach others. One of the most vital positions in the local church, and every person is part of the, who's part of the body of Christ, is, is important, is special, has a function. That's why we get that whole imagery of the body of Christ. But the elder uh, is a very important part of, of the work of Christ. And so thinking about this minesweeper here, when we um, select elders, and in Scripture sometimes you see them appointed, other times you see them elected. We elect elders here in this church. We want to avoid those landmines. We want to make sure that we're getting godly leadership for our church uh, because each person we select will serve for the next three years in a very important position of determining uh, where God is leading our church family. One of the things you see throughout Scripture, we won't look at all the other passages about the selection or appointment of elders, but always the Holy Spirit is mentioned. And the idea is that the Holy Spirit is involved. We're not just having a popularity contest to see who's the most fun, who has the most money, who knows the most people, but rather that the men and women of God are listening to the Spirit of God as He directs us to select elders who will lead the church, and in turn, those elders will follow the, the leadership of the Spirit of God as they make decisions. Uh, this morning, as we read something, I know we have a lot of guests with us today, so something we often do is we stand while we're reading uh, the Scripture. Uh, that, is, that is nothing more but than two things. Showing honor and reverence for God's word. And I like to clearly make known there's a difference between God's word and my word. And so I'm going to preach after we read. And I'm going to tell you what I think God's word has to say. But remember that if my word ever contradicts God's word, his word trumps all. His word is what is above us and what guides us. So if you would now please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. And you can follow along in your copy of scripture or on the screen You'll see the verses as well. Titus chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. This is Paul, by the way, to Titus. The reason I left you in Crete was that so you might put in order what was left unfinished 
And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you, and as we study your word, the words you inspired the Apostle Paul to write uh, to, to his um, protege, Titus, Lord, that we pray that those inspired words, those though written 2,000 years ago, that they may guide us as we seek to faithfully follow your pattern for your church. God, we pray now that you had blessed the reading and proclamation of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. I'm going to step down here real quick. My clock that I go by was covered up down there, and you guys might have been here a couple hours if I couldn't have seen it. So, hope you'll pardon me that interruption. I've entitled this message, The Heart of an Elder. And so, we're going to very briefly think about what is God's plan for an elder. The scripture uses the words elder, pastor, and bishop interchangeably. Uh, in this translation I read, it used the word overseer, but that's also the same word for, uh, for bishop. What is the heart of an elder? Paul begins by asking a question, if there's anyone found blameless. And as we begin that first um, reading of this passage, we say, how in the world can anyone be an elder? There is no man, there is no woman who is sinless except for Jesus Christ. The only one who had sinless perfection. But the word blameless in the Bible does not actually imply sinless perfection. Rather, it means someone with such a reputation that there is not some claim that could be made that says, hey, this person is disqualified from ministry because of what they're doing. So as we look through these qualifications, let's understand it's not a list of history. Like if you ever had this in your far distant past, then, then, you, can't, then you can't serve. Rather it's what is the character of the person who is serving? Are they a godly type of person? And almost every one of these qualifications, by the way, are, are things that are really expected of every single believer we just want to make extra special sure that when we select an elder, that that person is meeting those qualifications. There are five areas that Titus discusses here. The very first is family leadership. That there's got to be something solid in the family of an elder. You'll see he talks about a faithful man who is faithful to his wife. In many of the older translations, it says, husband of one wife. And over the years of church history, that term has been debated, that, that phrase has been debated and tossed back and forth. What does it mean? And some people thought, well, that means you got to be married or else 
you know, you, you, can't, you can't be an elder. And other people thought, well, you have to only have been married once, so if your wife dies and you marry again, then you're out. Other people said, well, maybe that was about polygamy. Uh, that was saying you can't be married to multiple people at the same time. At the end of the day, though, most scholars today, even very conservative scholars, will say that the best translation for that phrase, husband of one wife, simply means a one-woman man. We are looking at a person with sexual integrity. We are looking at a person who is faithful. You see, an elder, by definition, will deal with all of the congregation, both men and women. And they need to be respected and trusted in a person that's going to be above board in all their interactions. And so there's not even a hint of impropriety there. And so there is that, that uh, element of being sexually faithful and self-controlled. And then it talks about the children. The idea here is, here is actual children. Okay, This is not someone who has uh, raised a child, they've gone off, and now they're 35 years old, and, and they decide to do something different with their life. Oh, well, they can never serve as an, as an elder. No, that's not what this is talking about. The idea is that a young child who is in the household, still under the parent's authority, if someone is letting their kids just run wild, and, and, and if they're not teaching them the faith and they're allowing them to run wild... How can they manage God's household when they can't even manage their own household? And so the heart of an elder, they need to be a family man. They need to be a person who looks at their family and loves them and cares for them and not, not overly permissive, not crazy uh, strict, but rather loving and cherishing, putting in uh, faithfulness to the spouse and with the children, allowing them uh, to grow up with good standards. Secondly, there's an issue of mental and emotional stability. I don't mean to stigmatize mental illness. And in fact, there are many conditions that with counseling or medication, and we shouldn't stigmatize those folks. But if someone is currently experiencing problems and they cannot control their emotions or their moods or their temper, then they don't need to be a person in charge of God's household. The Bible tells us that, that we are not to be, um, the, the original Greek term was striker, or sometimes translated pugnacious. That is, you don't need to be that person if you're leading God's church that you pop off at someone the second they make you angry, whether that is physically or with your mouth. A person who is leading God's household needs to be patient and needs to be able to, to be stable in their thinking. This says, an elder must, let me, let's read some of this again. In verse 6, an elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Verse 7, since an overseer manages God's household, he must be blameless. Again, there's that word. Paul is really big on this person having high character. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. All right, he doesn't say this person never had a drop to drink. He said this person is not given to wine. If this is the person that is an alcoholic, is addicted, if this person is given to wine, they're not um, up to God's standard here. They're not overbearing. Uh, the Greek word there has to do with strong will. In fact, I think the closest thing that our, in our modern society we could relate this to is the word narcissistic. 
Because the idea is don't elect someone who's all about themselves. That they're not seeking to serve, rather they're seeking to get others to serve them. And they want the whole church to rotate and revolve around their opinions. Paul says, no, that is not, that is the last person that you want in the leadership of God's church. Rather, you need someone who is looking to serve. Not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Obviously, not only sexual integrity, uh, but financial integrity. If someone's got a gambling problem, if someone's got a problem with money, they're kind of shifty, shaky, they go around writing bad checks, that's not the guy that you want leading your church. Third, there is a love for others and a relational ability. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be super outgoing. You can be an extrovert or an introvert and be an elder in God's church. But rather, it means that we have to have a genuine love for other people. It's not just, oh, I love God, but I despise all these people. Rather, our love for God causes us to love our fellow man. It causes us to look at others with an eyes of love. And so he says, uh, hospitable. And, and by the way, that's more than what we have as southern hospitality, you know, that we're real nice and say things syrupy and sweet. And, you know, hospitality was literally being willing to open your door for anyone. If they had a need, you were going to meet that need. These are the kind of people that you would hear described as, hey, they'll give you the shirt off their back. That is the kind of of person that he's talking about. One who loves what is good. You know, you ever get get a sense of somebody that you can't put a finger on it. There's there's nothing actually you can prove that's illegal or immoral about their behavior, and yet you realize there is this sense about them that they're up to no good. I mean, they are just not the kind of person that's legitimately seeking after good and godly things in this life. If so, this this is not a court of law where we say, well, I can't actually prove them to be a bad person, so I guess I should vote for them. Rather, it is we look for people who love what is good who try to look for the good in life, who try to bless others and bless the Lord. Fourth, there's an idea of self-control and godly behavior. Behavior. Who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Self-control is, is not an easy thing. And yet, the Bible tells us over and over in both the Old Testament and the New Testament... That if we don't control ourselves, what we say, what we do, how we live, how we spend our time, if we do not discipline ourselves, then we're not going to amount to what God has for us. We'll never live up to the potential that God has placed in our life. Paul tells us over and over that we have to discipline ourselves to be godly. It's not simply enough to want to float along and say, yes, I want good things to happen. I wish godly things would happen in my life. Those kind of folks are kind of pleasant to be around, but they never accomplish much for the Lord, and they don't really grow in their faith. And that's not the kind of person that needs to be an elder. When you look for elder material, you look for people who are actually striving to say, yes, I want to grow and to be more like Jesus. I want to worship him, not only on Sunday mornings, but every day I want to go to him in prayer. I want to become more like my Savior, Jesus. Those are the kind of folks 
who have self-control and who discipline themselves to become more godly. Fifth and finally, Paul tells us that they have to be firm in the faith. In verse 9, it says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refuse those who oppose it. You and I, all of us have a need to know God's Word. Over and over and over again, God tells us that we're to hide His Word in our heart. That we are to look to the Holy Scriptures for guidance for our lives. Someone be, might be the nicest, hardest working, most selfless person in the world. And yet if they do not know God's word, then the advice that they give others and the direction that they point others will invariably go astray. One who is an elder needs to know God's word. Now does that mean they need to know it all? No, none of us know it all. <laughs> It, we're all of us in process. But someone needs to be grounded in their faith. And Paul says there's two reasons why. Number one, they need to encourage people through good teaching. Oftentimes, someone has just, when you're in that most difficult point of your life, when you're, in, when you're grieving or when you're perplexed about a decision, it is that godly person who can come along and speak words of truth into your life and they can encourage you and help you move forward. And that's one of the roles of the elders. On the other hand, there's the, there's the function we don't like so much. There's the rebuke. There's the correction. Someone who is leading God's people has to be able to say, I love you, and you know that. I've demonstrated it. You and I go way back. But I want to talk to you about where you're going. Maybe what you're teaching or what you're saying, how you're walking. Let's, let's look at God's word. Let's say what God says we really need to be doing. Because you and I have to hold each other accountable. This is our standard. I mean, we all make con confessions and, and, and beliefs, and this is our doctrine. But ultimately, it comes back to God's Word. And if we can't hold one another together on this, then we don't have anything that binds us together as believers. And so an elder must be grounded in God's word, and must be willing to stick firmly to the faith. I know that uh, for our folks here today, in our next hour, we'll be electing new elders for the upcoming uh, year. But if you are, we do have a lot of guests, so I'd like to say this. Two things, guests. Number one, are you elder material? And I'm not talking about your age. I'm not talking about your physical health. I'm talking about spiritually in your life. All of us need to ask ourselves, because, again, these, these standards are not just something for this extra special kind of Christian. These are all basic things that God calls all of us to. We all have to live with integrity. And so, even if you're not about to elect some elders in your church... Say, am I walking in a way that pleases God? Secondly, for those who are elders in your church, whether you're here or somewhere else, encourage them, love them, pray for them. Because Satan would love nothing better than to lead astray the leaders of the church who will drag others along with them if they go down a destructive path. So I encourage you 
all of you, including myself, we all need to seek to have the, the godly qualifications so that if we're called upon a lead, to lead, that we can do it. And, and that we ask God for his help in encouraging the leaders we have and selecting new leaders as we move forward. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you so much, um, God, for everything that you've done for us. We thank you most of all for salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. And I pray that if there's anyone here today who does not have a relationship with Jesus Christ, that today that they would put their faith in him. Lord, perhaps there are those uh, who are out there who have trusted in Christ, but they have not yet made the step of making it public. And today is that day. Lord, maybe you have something completely different on someone's heart as they deal with, with a sin in their life or a struggle they have. Perhaps they've realized that their character is not such that they could be called upon to faithfully lead. And, and today they need to get that right with you. Lord, whatever it is that you're calling us to do, may, may we be faithful to you, Lord, in this time as we seek to serve you. Father, let, our, let us all say yes to the invitation uh, to obey you and to grow closer to your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.